common things that we anticipate with the seasons. For instance, in the fall, when we see the leaves turning colors, we know that the cold days of winter cannot be too far away. There's just a natural progression of things. Things happen with the season. Uh, in the spring, when we begin to see those first shades of green showing up, and then a few flowers popping their heads up, we know spring is here and warm summer is not too far away. And then, of course, when summer comes, we anticipate everybody taking their clothes off. <laughs> Yeah, immodest clothes begin to appear. That just seems to go with the changing of seasons. This year it seems like we jumped right from relatively cool weather right into the hot heat of summer, and we are seeing great manifestations already of people who are dressing in ways to expose way too much of themselves. And so it seems like about every year at this time, it's appropriate for us to review some of the Bible truths about modesty about how we dress. And we want to do that for a few minutes tonight. We want to just be constantly reminded because the world is urging certainly us to go in a different direction in regards to the clothes we wear. We want to make sure that we're dressing and conducting ourselves in the way that would please God, not necessarily in the ways that the world would dictate to us and try to mold us. The world's trying to mold us into one image. God wants us to follow a different pattern. And that's what we want to talk about for just a few minutes in our lesson tonight. We stop here at the end of this nice summer day in Middle Tennessee. It's hot. Uh, but as Joel already mentioned, we're blessed to be able to come together and enjoy a, uh, an air-conditioned place to sit in comfort, to worship God. We're glad that you've made it the priority to be here tonight. We appreciate you for that. For any and all who are visiting with us, thanks for coming. We hope you'll come again and again every time you have a chance. Let's just be reminded of some of the things that we have talked about with some regularity regarding the subject of modesty. The first thing that we would point out is that for us, the people of God, when we're trying to please God, our emphasis ought to be on the inner man, being the kind of person inwardly that God wants us to be, and we should not put all of our emphasis on the outward appearance. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 9, we read a text that we often reference in regards to discussions about the clothes we wear. Before we go to that, though, I want to remind you about a principle of biblical interpretation that we have discussed many times before. And we talk about the not-but construction of certain passages in the New Testament. And I think the very best one to illustrate the way that we should understand these, these types of grammatical constructions is is what Jesus said in John 6, 27. This hasn't got anything to do with our topic. But just notice the, the, the not-but kind of grammatical construction. John 6, 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Now, wait a minute. Labor not for the meat which... That, that's talking about our physical food, right? Do not labor for your physical food. That's not true, is it? We know we are supposed to work for our food. In fact, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, He who won't work, neither should he eat. So we're supposed to labor for our food. This says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth into everlasting life. It's a contrast. And so, in this kind of construction, the first thing is not totally prohibited, 
It's just an emphasis on the second thing. Do you see that? I think it's so clear here in John chapter 6, verse 27, that's why I'm just using it to illustrate that principle. It's not saying don't work at all for food. It is saying your total emphasis, your main priority should be on doing the things of God. We see it there, don't we, in John 6. Okay, now let's go back to this passage in... Uh-oh, I didn't know it was going to do that. i got to get rid of all that. Okay, now go back to this passage in uh, 1 Timothy 2, beginning of verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. All right, there's the knot. What is, what is not supposed to be the most important thing? Braided hair, gold, pearls, costly array. But, so the most important thing is that which becomes women professing godliness with good works. So this is not saying ignore your outward appearance completely. It's not saying that, right? This kind of construction is not to be taken that way. This is not saying that you should not pay attention to your outward appearance at all. But it is saying that as a person of God, your main priority ought to be on the inward person, the good works that you do in service to God. That's where the emphasis ought to be. Now, think about that in consideration of how the world views things. In the world's view, it's all about the outward appearance, right? They don't care at all about the inward man. And we as Christians should do just the opposite. In 1 Peter chapter 3, where uh, Lee read for us earlier, 1 Peter 3, beginning verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, the wearing gold, putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. This is another one of those not buts. Let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting hair and wearing gold, putting on apparel. Now, again, that's not saying there's a total prohibition there, but that's not the point of emphasis for a Christian. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, that which is not corruptible, an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so, as we look at those passages that are familiar to us, again, we just emphasize that for us, it ought to be our inward person that we're really trying to adorn for God. We want it to be the way God wants it to be. Not saying we should totally ignore our outward appearance. Nobody is suggesting that. But it is saying our emphasis ought to be on pleasing God. That's so important. Unfortunately, most people in our world, and sad to say even some Christians, get this backwards. And we, we want to make sure that we have the right order of things. Now, when we talk about our clothes, we know that God's emphasis on properly covering the body goes all the way to, back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I believe it continues through all the ages. Let me go back with you to Genesis 3, just as a reminder of things we've discussed so often before. Genesis 3, beginning verse 1, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. All right, so when they partook of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they knew they were naked. So that became 
an awareness to them. And so in order to try to remedy that, it says they made aprons for themselves. Now, these aprons, by all understanding, would have just simply covered the midsection, the private parts of their body. They'd made aprons. But when the Lord came into the garden, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Notice, Adam still felt naked. He was afraid because he said, I was naked. He'd already covered a very minimal part of his body. He covered the midsection of his body, the private parts of his body. But he, he said, I was afraid because I was naked. He still felt naked. And apparently God agreed with him about that because it says in verse 21 as, an, as the follow-up to this first sin, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of, coats of skins and clothed them. Some versions will read coats there with the, with the word tunic. And maybe that carries a, a little clearer understanding to us. A tunic or this type of a coat would have been something that would have covered the torso of the body from the shoulders and down and would have gone down the leg to the knee or below in every case. That's what the word means. And so notice, uh, they had a problem of nakedness. They were naked. They made some feeble attempt to cover their nakedness and didn't succeed. Adam still felt naked. God apparently still felt he was naked. And so to cover their nakedness, God made them these tunics or these coats. So what would we conclude about nakedness then? What, in, in God's estimation, what constitutes nakedness? Obviously, it's not totally without a stitch of clothes on. We understand that. But in God's view, what needs to be covered is the torso of the body and the leg to the knee or below needs to stay covered in order to cover nakedness. Now, again, we're just looking for a definition there, but that seems pretty clear in this very first Bible text that deals at all with those kinds of questions. In Exodus chapter 28, another passage that we have often referenced, when the clothes for the priests were being described, remember here Moses is receiving instruction from God about how things were to be done among the Israelites. Many of those instructions pertain to the sacrifices that were to be offered, the special duties of Aaron and his descendants as priests for the, for the nation of Israel. And the clothes, the, the particular clothes of the priests are being described here. Now understand, before we even read this text, we're not saying that we have to dress like Aaron and his sons dressed. We're not saying that at all. But we are looking at a text that might help us to identify this, this area of nakedness and the part of our bodies that we need to keep covered. So that, that's why we're using this. I, sometimes people say, why, why are we talking about how the priests dress? We don't have to dress like priests. We agree. But we do have to keep our nakedness covered. Notice what they had to wear to keep their nakedness covered. For Aaron and his sons shalt thou make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins even to the thighs they shall reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come into the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near into the altar to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. So, here, something was being provided to cover the nakedness. 
They're identified as linen breeches, and the way we usually say, say that is breeches. There were some linen breeches they were supposed to wear. Uh, these would be clothes that they wore under their priestly robes. So these, this wasn't even outerwear. This was underwear, if you will. But the possibility existed that as these priests went about their duties, especially as they were ministering at the altar, as and that was heavy work, by the way. If you stop and consider all that was going on as they sacrificed those animals, there was some heavy work involved. And as they went about doing that, the chance that someone might see up under their robes. And so they wore these undergarments, these linen breeches, to cover their nakedness. What part of the body did it cover? Well, it covered from the loins even unto the thighs. And so from the waist down, covering the thighs, the thigh extends to the knee, right? So these undergarments covered from the waist to the knee so that even by accident someone might not see the priest and their nakedness be exposed in that way. Now again, please understand, don't let anyone quibble saying, oh, we don't have to dress like the priest. We're not saying we have to dress like the priest. But what we are saying is we've got to keep God's requirement of covering our nakedness and here we have a help in defining the part of our body that should stay covered. In Isaiah chapter 47, beginning verse 1, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. This is actually a figurative passage in which the prophet is announcing doom upon Babylon. God's judgment would be exercised against the nation of Babylon. But notice, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Again, I would argue we get the same conclusion here from this passage. Now again, understand this is a figurative passage as the prophet is speaking the doom of Babylon. But to uncover the thigh, make bare the leg and cover the thigh. That was nakedness. And so we would argue again that from that, here's the, the part of the body that needs to be covered. Put it all together. What parts of the body, in God's definition, constitutes nakedness that's not supposed to be seen? The torso of the body, from the shoulders down, covering the thigh to the knee or below, was always a requirement by God for covering nakedness. And so, that seems like that would be a reasonable thing for us to consider as a starting place then in regards to the clothes that we wear. Now, I think it's a fair observation that just, just trying to cover the bare minimum, just, I want to make sure that I've got the, I, I, I want to make sure that, that nakedness is covered, but I don't want to do any more than that. I want to just go to that, to that borderline and no more. Well, that may cover nakedness, at least most of the time it might. It might not cover nakedness when I bend over or sit down or uh, whatever. But just basically covering nakedness is not really modesty. Modesty is actually a higher bar than just covering your nakedness. Modesty is more than that. The modest person doesn't want to see how close they can get to the limits of nakedness a modest person is going to take real efforts to stay far removed from, from those 
limits. And so modesty is a higher bar even than just keeping nakedness covered. We want to make sure that we avoid lasciviousness. You know the word lasciviousness is a word that... I, I, my guess is you never heard that word except when you read it in the Bible or you hear it when we're discussing Bible things because that is not a word that I think ever uh, is found in normal English conversation these days. But we know it's an important word to understand because it's listed among the works of the flesh. You know this passage in Galatians chapter 5. We won't take time even to read it. A whole listing of things that are called the works of the flesh. And I want you to notice that lasciviousness is in that listing. So we won't even look at the others. We won't even read them for this time tonight. It's a real valuable study in itself to talk about these works of the flesh, make sure we understand them all. We've done that before. We may do that again sometime in the future. In a Bible class, just spend a, a class period on each of the works of the flesh so we know for sure what they are and we avoid them because notice, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why it's really important to know what these words mean. That's why it's important to know what lasciviousness means. It's not a word that we use very often. What does it mean? Well, very simply put, lasciviousness is any activity, any form of dress, any manner of conduct that, that tends to excite lust or desire in myself or in others. I don't know how, how much simpler to identify it. Lasciviousness is just that. Now, it's understandable that human beings have certain physical desires. God has given us avenues to fulfill those certain physical desires. But he has warned us about anything that we might do that would cause an inappropriate or an inordinate or an illicit exercise of those desires. And that's really what lasciviousness is. The one that we, we, should, we should not do anything that would cause those thoughts of lust or desire to be in our hearts or the heart of someone else. We need to be careful. Lasciviousness is a work of the flesh. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, we've got to be really careful then. Because this question of dress is obviously an area wherein lasciviousness becomes a consideration. So, as people consider how they will dress, they got to think, is it possible that I would be committing the sin, the work of the flesh, lasciviousness, by the way that I dress. Now, I want to make sure that there's a caveat to that, obviously, because we understand that they, some of us couldn't generate a lustful thought in another person if we, if we wanted to. Uh, but we can still commit the sin of lasciviousness and be guilty of, of such a, a sin. You know, somebody says, well, yeah, you know, no, no worry for me. Nobody would ever look at me that way. Nobody would look at me that way if I walked around totally naked. Well, okay, well, maybe probably so. That's probably so for a lot of us. But the fact of the matter is, it's still an issue that we have to be on guard against, okay? All right, so we've got to avoid lasciviousness. Now, understand that immodesty, our, our immodesty, if we dress immodestly, we have the potential to cause two people to sin. And this is related to what we were just saying about doing things, conducting ourselves, or dressing in such a way to generate thoughts in people's hearts that ought not to be there. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said, I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman 
to, to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So that, that would be the sin of the person who looks with evil desire, right? So here's a man, and he sees a woman who's immodestly dressed. And it generates evil thoughts in his heart. He, he has thoughts that he should not have. He lusts after her. Jesus said he sins when he does that. He doesn't have to do anything else. He's already sinned. By looking and lusting, by thinking what he shouldn't have thought, he has committed sin. But notice that the person who provokes that kind of thinking also sins. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And so here, this is not the person who's looking, this is the person who's causing such looks. And therefore, if we would think to dress or act in immodest ways to provoke evil thoughts in the, in the mind of another, that person has sinned, but we have sinned by causing that. I think I've told you before, I remember years and years ago, uh, I had, my aunt had three daughters, my three cousins, and and she let them go to the to the mixed swimming pool in tiny two-piece bathing suits. And, and I told her, I said, Aunt Helen, that's just not right. So I said, that's, that's just completely out of bounds. They, you can't, because uh, my aunt and uncle and all three of the girls were Christians. And I said, it's just not right. She said, you've got a dirty mind. The problem is you. You've got a dirty mind. And my response to her was, well, maybe so. But that still doesn't change the fact that your daughter's out there displaying themselves. And if, if, and if anybody looks on them to lust after them, they have sinned in the process. And so you, do, you can't just put that off on the other guy. Oh, yeah, well, that's because he's got a dirty mind. Well, maybe he does. But you have provoked that, and Jesus said, Woe to the man by whom such offense cometh. We've got to really be on guard about that. Immodesty can cause two people to sin. I came across a bulletin article the other day that had just had a list of questions relative to the clothes that we choose to wear. I thought they were really good. I just want to share them with them. I didn't write these, but I thought these were good questions. Does what I'm wearing cover my nakedness? That's the first consideration, right? And we already talked about a, an appropriate definition of, de, of nakedness from the Bible. Does it meet or exceed God's standard for being modest? And as we were saying earlier, modesty... I think, a, a quite higher bar than just covering your nakedness. So not only does it, does it meet the standards covering those very basic parts of the body that have to stay covered all the time, is it, is it better than that? Does it go farther than that? Is it modest? In regards to that, this fellow who wrote the bulletin article asked several questions. Is it too short? Uh, is it too short to cover nakedness? You know, these days, even among Christians, there are a lot of choices that are being made about clothes that don't adequately cover nakedness. I see some of our young folks, I see some of our young folks even here at College View, who wear shorts, and the shorts maybe, maybe come marginally close to covering nakedness when you're standing up. But everybody knows that when you sit down, those shorts are going to be mid-thigh when you sit down. That's just, it's, it's unavoidable. It's going to happen, right? Well, where does it say that I have to cover my nakedness when I'm standing perfectly still straight up? But don't worry about it when you sit down, when you bend over, when you do something else. That doesn't work, does it? 
And so, in regards to nakedness and modesty, is it is what I'm wearing too short? Is it too tight? I think all of us would quickly acknowledge that a person could have on clothes that completely cover their flesh, but it could be so tight and form-revealing that it still provokes those thoughts in someone's mind. And so, for us all, especially I think for ladies, ask the question, is it too tight? Is it too sheer? If I can see through it, I'm, you know, come on. Uh, sometimes we see, and again, this is especially true. I don't, I don't see guys, thankfully. Thankfully, I don't see guys wearing sheer clothes. Uh, nobody wants to see that, I promise you. But in regards to the ladies, sometimes we, we unfortunately observe, and again, sometimes among Christians, that they wear clothes that you can see through, at least partially. Is it too sheer? especially for women, obviously, is the neckline too low. Uh, there's really no reason for that, ladies. You've got to be extra careful about that. And again, not just when you're perfectly standing upright, but when you bend over, when you reach down to pick something up, when you tend to the children and so forth, is the neckline too low? Is it exposing things that should not be seen? Is what I'm wearing... Uh, is what I'm wearing, does it indicate, I think I mistyped that, is what I'm wearing indicate, I get that right, is what I'm wearing indicate that my goal is to be chaste, and the word chaste means pure and holy, or to be chaste, different word, completely different word with totally different meaning. So what, what's your purpose in what you're wearing? Do you want to be chaste or chaste? Which chaste do you want to be, right? Uh, I, you know, I think it's so clear that people in the world want this second idea. And, and typically, people of the world don't even deny that. People of the world dress that way on intention, and they wouldn't deny that intention if you asked them about it. They want to be chaste. We should want to be chaste, pure and holy, different word altogether. Which one uh, are you after because of how I'm dressed, would someone mistake me for a worldly person? That's maybe a good question to ask. I don't know if I would have thought to put it in those exact terms. But well, what, certainly the way we dress does give off uh, an indication of who we are, what we are, what our values are. I know Britt has pointed out before us before that uh, in the book of Proverbs, for instance, it speaks of the woman with the attire of a harlot. Simply by the way she dressed, she identified herself as a harlot. So, the way we dress does give an awful message to others. Well, would someone think, that's not a religious person. He or she's not a Christian. You can tell by the way they're dressing. You wouldn't want to give that message, would you? Or, because of how I am dressed, would it cause another person to lust? We already talked about that, right? And then finally, will what I'm wearing help? or hurt my influence for Christ? That's a worthy question right there, I think. What about how you're dressed? And, and then, would you, would you choose to be dressed that way and then offer to engage someone in a private home Bible study? Or, would you think, I don't want to be wearing that when I try to talk to this person about their soul? Maybe a good question to ask. There's just some questions that I came across, not my questions, but I thought they were good questions all relative to this subject of modesty. Finally, a point that we just got to keep in mind all the time, God wants us to be different from the world.
This is the key. This is really the key, isn't it? Are you willing to be different? Because I'm going to tell you, if, in regards to the standards of, of our modern culture, if we're going to be the people of God, and if we're going to dress with the principles and the values that we've been trying to discuss tonight, we're going to be different. You can't be like the world. I mean, if you, if you come even close to dressing and acting like the world, then you're not going to be the kind of person God wants you to be. You're going to have to accept the reality that we're different. And we're, going to, and we're going to show difference in lots of ways. And one of the ways that we're going to show difference is in the way we dress. God wants us to be different from the world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He didn't call us to be like the people of the world. He called us to be different from the world. And, they're very, and then very plainly in Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to the world. That's what the world wants, isn't it? That is exactly the agenda of the world. Be like us. Dress like us. Do what we do. Paul says, be not conformed to the world. Don't let them do that. Don't let, you pu- don't let them push you into their mold. Well, it's that time of year. And obviously, immodesty is rampant already right here in our small town of Columbia, Tennessee. You can see all manner of undress already as the hot weather has arrived. And it's just a reminder. Nothing new here. We, we've talked about these things plenty of times. In fact, it's gotten to the point, I don't know how to say this in any new or different way. It's the same things we talk about pretty often, but we just have to be reminded. And just wanted to offer an encouragement to us all in regards to how we dress. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We'll, song, we'll sing this song of invitation. As we sing it, we'll be asking everyone, make sure your life is right with God. If you need our help in obeying the gospel, if you need our prayers, if we can be of any assistance, let us know while we stand and sing this song.